it's Tiffany, and you found my secret podcast. Have you ever meditated on a blade of grass that has broken the concrete and is coming up, or the dandelion weed, or any amazingly, seemingly fragile, tiny little plant that's broken the concrete? I mean, really. When you look down at old concrete and you're walking around, you see nature escaping its containment. Let that be inspiration that you were created to overcome this world. I find it laughable now when I think back on how I used to view the environment and climate and I followed and believed any of the nonsense that they continually spout. Civilization was supposed to end in 2000. I was there. I didn't buy it then either because I didn't watch the news. I've never watched the news my entire life. My stepfather, whose house I grew up in, was a vice president of CNN. And I recognized very early that the news was a business and not a harbinger of truth. Questions are a harbinger of truth. And meditating on questions are the quickest way to God imparting wisdom that we will destroy the earth and thereby our own existence is laughable when the hardest thing we can create can't even hold up to a blade of grass. And I want to take this image of the blade of grass piercing concrete to bloom fully in the midst of what we would consider less than ideal circumstances and apply it to our own life. I've been meditating on the idea of God's will for me. I believe God's will for me is in my heart. Like I'm just going to live it. Even if I don't do his will, he's going to take it and turn it to his good. Do I need to worry about God's will for me? I've come to the conclusion that for my sake, yes, yes, God can take anything and turn it to good. Even my mistakes But in my researching God's will, what I have found is that when we are living in God's will for us, we are in our supernatural purpose. And in that way, we connect to a supernatural flow. If we are out of the flow of that, then we're fighting upstream. Yes, God will use it. But we can delay our calling. Calling also something I've been researching a lot in the last year. Spiritual gifts specifically for Ephesians 4. What is your spiritual gift? There are five. Apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher, prophet. And I got on the quiz that I took that I'm a prophet, like strongly, like every question. And I was like, wow. But every question was yes, yes, yes. Even to the point that I don't care what people think of my message. I have to speak my message. And that's very much a prophet. You think of Jonah and the whale. He hated the people he was going to preach to. He thought they deserved to die. He prayed to God that they die. God had to work on his heart for him to go give them the message that would ultimately save them, bring them to repentance, make them change their mind, renew their mind so that it is new and ultimately save them. And he was still mad about it. Prophets aren't here with necessarily the encouraging word. Yes, it'll be the word that saves you. 
yes, it will be truth and have wisdom in it, but it's not necessarily going to be packaged in a pretty bow. Prophets don't care. They're also often the songwriters. They love to sing. I used to think it would be so cool to be infamous. Like, yes, I coveted and wanted fame, but a large part of me when I was younger in my rebellious days wanted infamy. I thought that would be really cool. Cut to present times when the civilization that I live in is literally twisted and backwards. Suddenly, infamy is the only way to be righteous and full of wisdom and truth. You literally have to be infamous to be righteous with God in our culture because it's so backwards. I've in building my website forever, which is a torturous process because I don't fit in to the person standing next to me has the nice pretty website that says featured in BBC, featured in Good Housekeeping, featured in HuffPost. I am infamous in the New York Times. The New York Times poop stain on the face of civilization My photo is displayed proudly from my perspective of infamy with the New York Times around the mask and COVID and all that nonsense. So that's fine. You would also call that an iconoclast, someone who battles the normal, which is interesting. Icon is the image. So the iconoclast tears down the image. And I've been Overwhelmed lately with the idea of how powerful the image is in our head to hypnotize us, to become a framework under which we harness all of our life and work for the benefit of that image. The image is all powerful. We see the image in in Revelation. The beast is an image. It is not there. It doesn't exist, and yet it exists. That's an image something that's not real, but we take it to be real. We live as if it's real. And there are so many aspects of this happening in our culture where we accept things as true and sacrosanct that are absolute garbage, ideologically, philosophically. How do you know what is an image that is true and in the perfect will of God and will work for us and allow us to move into our supernatural flow with our purpose or not. I found it's pretty clear cut that if it inspires a future-based fear, it is not the right channel. Fear can be good when we're going for something big. The other side of fear is excitement. It actually has all the same physical symptoms of fear. If your mind is spinning the negative questions, they're not going to like me. What if I mess up? But if this is going to be great, they're going to love me. I'm going to do awesome. That feeling is excitement and how you harness it in your mind is all important. The process of manifestation uses the image. In the beginning, it is the seed before anything is born. And then in the perfect will of God, we have three steps that are the outward manifestation of a process already begun on the inside in the darkness. Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls your service 
What is your service? It's to renew your mind. So perpetually renew your mind by finding the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You could also look at that in Mark 4.28, which I'm broadly translating the ear of corn to a flower because I'm not a farmer. First is the blade, the blossom, and then the bloom. The blade is the good, the blossom is the acceptable, the bloom is the perfect. So when we manifest, we see the image, we embody that image in the beginning, not perfectly, just good, and then it strengthens as we go. Now that image is not just a vision in our head or a picture. It is a feeling. It is embodiment of the image. Athletes visualize the process. So they don't visualize the end goal, getting the medal. They visualize the process. And the experiments done around this are phenomenal. In three groups, people that don't practice, people that visualize practicing, and people that practice, the results between the people that visualize and the people that practice, it's really a minimal percentage of improvement. So 23% for the visualizers and 24% for the practicers. Now the lazy could say, well, why don't we just visualize? And that's fine. Do that. Your mind does not know the difference between your imagination and reality. It will tone your muscles a percentage beneath actual physical practice. And I would argue that it does so in a restful way so that you don't overwork the body. But think about combining those two, the process, the physical process and the visualization to supersize your results. If we apply this in places where we are blocked, then we can work our way backwards to find out what we're visualizing just underneath the surface of our consciousness. For instance, where is your fear popping up? It is directly proportional to where you are blocked. So let's look at the big three, our health, our relationships, our wealth. If we are perpetually coming up with financial blocks, what happens at the cash register? What happens in the transactions? Does that fear pop up and the worry about not having enough? What you're doing is visualizing not having enough. What if at the cash register, at every transaction, you said a little prayer and created an image of the same amount of money you're sending out, multiplying exponentially back to you or exponentially multiplying to bless everyone it touches. Wow, that would be even bigger. Then it's not a subtraction. It's exponential multiplication. It's God's math. What if you're doing the same in your body? Every time you think of your body, have a pain. Just throughout your day, are you visualizing potential sickness? (gasps) What if I'm sick? What if it's this? What if it's that? I don't even want to say the words. There are such powerful images to cast spells over us. Rebuke those spells. Embrace and embody health and wholeness. Practice it. Strengthen it with your words out loud. I want to hear what happens. If you're having trouble doing this, if you don't understand it, or if you're having results, big results, I want to know. So visit me at TiffanyLee.com. Until next time, I'm visualizing you in life.